0: Begin with what guns and gas and food and fraud all have in common in the state of Florida.
1: The tie that binds them all together is the State Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services and the elected commissioner who oversees it all. South Florida's Nikki Freed won that job 10 months ago with the polls by fewer than 7,000 votes. She has made some big changes to what was once an under-the-radar department. The former lawyer and marijuana industry lobbyist is framing legislative agendas that includes new state hemp industry regulations and a focus on renewable energy.
0: At the same time as the only Democrat elected statewide, Freed has taken on the role as head of the party in Florida, heading into the 2020 elections and all those plates being spun and you're still here with (laughs) us live at the table. Great to have you. Thanks for having me today.
1: Great to have you. We're going to get to hemp and CBD and medical marijuana in a minute. But at first, I'm going to ask you, your office sent out a release yesterday saying we are going to turn Florida blue in 2020. Donald Trump won the state in 2016 by roughly 117,000 votes and polls indicate He is still strong, so how do you turn it around?
2: You know, I think we turn it around by going to the issues. It's something that I campaign very hard on. It's not so much in the partisan politics, but about the, the issues. And you'll see throughout my entire year that I, I've gone after the president on things that are really impacting our state. When he's reduced SNAP benefits to so many of our families here in the state, uh, going after all of our, our trade issues with our farmers. So you go to the core into the issues that are affecting Floridians, and they're going to see
0: that President Trump is not the right path forward for our state. So these two hats that you're wearing now, you know, the, the division of agriculture culture and consumer services is a really service oriented place Um, and so now as you go from event to event and are very uh, very strong partisan and you are and I've heard some of your speeches as as a role model for the state for the next few months do you do you promote bipartisanship when you're sitting up with uh, Governor DeSantis and the cabinet members, or do you clarify the divide? How, how do you maneuver that?
2: No, we, we definitely put state before party. You know, when there's issues, especially in the department, the things that we are dealing with on an everyday basis are not partisan. You know, everybody wants clean air and clean water and, and healthy food and nutritious food for our children. Those are not partisan issues. And so we make sure that the policies that are coming out of the office, policies as a cabinet member, are that. Of what is affecting the entire state of totality, but obviously there's going to be certain divides and certain things that are going to make a difference between what I stand for and things that the governor stands for, and so I make sure that I make those very clear. But we also don't get involved in every issue. There's other individuals in our party, and whether it's the the state party or whether it's other electeds, we really try to do a lot of bipartisan support. I mean, even we're talking about later hemp, my mm-hmm. hemp legislation that we pushed for was supported bipartisan. Uh, was actually the sponsors on the house and the senate. We're both Republicans, and I have no issues working with Republicans for good policy for our state. All right,
1: you've mentioned hemp. Let's get into that now. Uh, you have said that the hemp industry in Florida is extremely important, could be a 20 to $30 billion a year industry, how do you get to that point and why is it so important?
2: Let's start off with kind of the the background of how we got here. Uh, In 2018, the Farm Bill passed in in DC and was signed and would allow each state to create their own hemp program. And that's exactly what we did this legislative session and working through the rulemaking why this is so important for our state let's start with our farmers our farmers that have been suffering from whether it's the different hurricanes from michael to irma uh, to the citrus greening that we're seeing all over our state to the unfair trade practices of nafta now usmca our farmers are struggling this is an opportunity to have a new a different crop that they can go in there and really start making a production of the hemp and then we start talking about the cbd products that are all over our state already that are not regulated that are Mm not um, you have no idea What's in them? You have no idea if there's pesticides, if there's fertilizers, or metals, THC, or even there's any CBD. So, creating a hemp program in our state allows us to regulate the CBD program to allow there to be a consumer protection involved in it. And then the industrial side is where it's exciting. It's replacements for all of our plastics and styrofoams and hempcrete instead. Uh, That's what's going to get us to the 20, 30 billion dollar mark.
0: You know, as a matter of fact, Local 10, Amy Viteri, one of our investigative reporters, just did a report this week about the lack of regulation on CBD and found that some of these products were just benign at best and, and detrimental to health at worst. But, but I think what confuses so many people, AKA me too, um, <laughs> the hemp and cannabis market is a, is a different market than the medical marijuana market, which your, your division doesn't even oversee. That's a Department of Health Correct. thing, right? So what, how does the hemp and cannabis market in the state with its rules and laws as it stands now, function within what the federal hemp law now allows? Well, there's a challenge there somewhere.
2: Well, you still have the distinction between the hemp plant and the medical marijuana. We know that medical marijuana and marijuana is still a controlled substance in the federal level. While it's in our constitution here, it's very highly regulated. So we have 22 license holders that are allowed to uh, cultivate and then sell for those who are on the medical marijuana registry. The hemp plant allows us to actually regulate it just like any other ag commodity, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to put out licenses, and it's going to be an open marketplace. Uh, Over 3,000 people were anticipating actually registering and wanting a license, anywhere from the cultivation to manufacturing to the processing, both for the human and animal consumption side as well as for the industrial side. Can can I just
0: follow up on that for one moment? I know that there are such similarities between those two plants. THAT IT'S GIVING LAW ENFORCEMENT AN ISSUE FOR STOPPING PEOPLE FOR SUSPECTED Mm. MARIJUANA. SO IS is THERE AN ISSUE THERE WITH THE SIMILARITIES BETWEEN THE TWO in, IN GROWING THIS INDUSTRY?
2: YEAH, SO THE ISSUE IS THE FACT THAT THE HEMP PLANT TO THE NAKED EYE LOOKS EXACTLY THE SAME smells the same and for law enforcement you're not going to be able to tell the difference. So we're working with a lot of our law enforcement and our state attorneys across the state saying there are new tests that are coming out for on the spot being able to test the THC levels. That's kind of the distinction that the hemp plant is never going to get you high, the euphoric fa- factor to it. Uh, so there is going to be field, field tests that are going to be out there to allow officers to actually be able to test uh, the, the THC potency of these plants. But we're also working with our state attorneys who you're seeing all across the state saying it's no longer enough that you have the smell test for when you're doing an arrest. Yeah. It has to be smell mm-hmm. plus. Yeah. And we're seeing that throughout the entire state. Yeah.
1: Uh, Commissioner, let me go back to CBD because I find it fascinating. There's just been this huge explosion of products. In fact, we went out to dinner the other day and there was a CBD menu, foods infused with CBD. I did not order it. I don't know you know, what the CBD was, what it would have done. I mean, I guess it's salutary. But how did Florida get to the point where you can go in and find a profusion of these CBD oils and really don't know how pure they are, how effective they are.
2: Yeah, and we're seeing that all across the country and you know that that we're talking about hemp and CBD as the marijuana 2.0 that everybody who couldn't get into the marijuana space as we saw a very restrictive uh, medical marijuana program everybody turned to this new you know industry of the CBD market and we're seeing I got my my haircut yesterday inside of the salon they've got all these hemp products (laughs) you know sometimes you know as the as the regulator it drives me crazy because knowing that I have no idea what's in it and I don't want them putting that anywhere close to me Um, but you know this is so it's just one of those industries people are seeing as an opportunity and they're putting it into whether it's food and cosmetics and other types of products. Right. And we want to make sure that it's safe. And that's my concern for so many of our you know people that are out there they are buying this for health and wellness. So, and where no in,
1: excuse me, so where in the process are you, is the state of Florida in sort of setting up regulation to make sure it is safe?
2: Uh, we are about finished with our rules Uh, we have done uh, two rounds we've done open hearings and uh, different testimony Uh, we have to make a couple of tweaks based on what the USDA put out last week Uh, but we are anticipating having our rules published and going up to the USDA for final approval uh, by the end of this year meaning that we're gonna be able to give out licenses either by the end of 2019 or the first part
0: of 2020 you know not unrelated unrelated but yet similar a couple of groups right now as you know are trying to collect petitions to get on the Florida ballot, an amendment in the Constitution legalizing recreational marijuana. Do you have a position on that? Yeah, I've always been
2: supportive of the legalization aspect uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, one, it's a criminal justice reform opportunity. You know, as a past public defender, I saw so many of my clients being arrested because of the simple smell uh, of cannabis. Uh, so one, you got dealing with criminal justice reform and it really is an impact on our economy on just the overload in our court system and, and then to the economic opportunities i mean we're seeing this everywhere else in the country i mean you can be adding hundreds of millions of dollars into our state general revenue for our education for affordable housing and all of this is potentially getting people off of pharmaceutical drugs getting them off the ambience and all the other pain relief uh, this is something that's going to be better for
0: them and safer you know usually a corollary QUESTION TO THAT IS, DOES THAT KIND OF THING EVEN BELONG IN THE FLORIDA CONSTITUTION? ISN'T THAT A STATUTORY THING?
2: YOU KNOW, like, AND THAT'S MY FIRST GUT REACTION, you AS AN ATTORNEY, uh, THAT, YOU KNOW, TRYING TO LIMIT THE THINGS THAT ARE IN OUR CONSTITUTION, mm-hmm. BUT UNFORTUNATELY WHAT'S HAPPENED IS THAT WE'VE HAD ONE PARTY RULING OUR, our STATE FOR 20-PLUS for YEARS, AND SO A LOT OF THE ISSUES THAT ARE, are IMPORTANT TO THE PUBLIC Uh, are not getting done and not getting passed in the legislature so the people have no other option but to start these civilian
0: petitions yeah
1: right and then the legislature finds ways to ignore constitutional (laughs) amendments
0: as a member of the florida cabinet you sit on the clemency board Uh, this week in miami-dade court we saw the first round of miami-dade's former felons who um Went through this new program. They had to fit the criteria of their sentences to get court fees and court fines that they may still owe. Uh, set aside as a hindrance to their voting rights. It was very celebratory. We're watching some video of it now. Wondering if the backlog prior to Amendment 4 passing in Florida, voter uh, felons, votes, restoration, passed overwhelmingly. Prior to that, and maybe even still, there was a huge backlog of Mm -hmm. former felons waiting to get their voting rights back by going before the clemency board, of which you are now a part. Does Amendment 4 ease that backlog in any way?
2: It's not currently doing that. Uh, We still have 13 or 14,000 backlogged cases, uh, something that I have been very vocal about as a member of the Clemency Board. and As a past public defender, these are issues that are personal to me uh, that I care significantly about. Uh, I've been trying to get the Clemency Board, which is the cabinet, uh, to change some of the rules and regulations and procedures to get through that backlog. In fact, back in September, I wrote a letter to the Clemency Board asking for a special meeting to change those rules. And, And still, as of today, Uh, seeing no movement forward
1: Uh, this week the state Supreme Court heard arguments uh, uh, asking for an advisory uh, opinion from the court Governor DeSantis asked for this and the court heard the arguments pro and con on amendment 4 and what does completion of sentence mean courts fees fines and restitution Uh, but I understand that really this is an advisory opinion I mean whatever the state Supreme Court says it's not exactly binding, is it?
2: No, definitely not. And I think that everybody's, you know, there's all this confusion about what Amendment 4 did and all the lawsuits that are happening both in the state level and the federal level. And you're seeing a lot of state attorneys stepping up to the plate and saying we are going to work with all these individuals to yeah. get rid of some of these issues.
1: Dave, Dave, excuse me, Dave Ehrenberg yes. in Palm Beach County has done that. Kathy Fernandez-Rundle in Miami-Dade.
2: As is Hillsborough County as a uh, state attorney as well. And what I have said Clemency is an executive function. It is a thing that is actually in the Constitution. Is that the clemency board uh, is has sole discretion, and which on some of these issues, and so which is why it has been so imperative that I try to get uh, the rest of my clemency colleagues to start moving forward. So regardless of what's happening with these lawsuits, regardless of these advisory opinions, we have the power today to make changes to the clemency board to get rid of the backlog and and also those individuals that not just you know have already completed their sentence, but those who are about to. Mm -hmm. You know what happens those individuals it should be an automatic restoration of their rights once they've completed their sentences outside the prisons and outside the jails but this is something the clemency board can do today and and which is why I'm continuing to keep my foot on the pedal on this
0: issue so what's been the reaction to that
2: Uh, there's been silence uh, WE HAD FIRST STARTED TO, WHEN I CAME INTO OFFICE, WE STARTED PUSHING THIS ISSUE. IN FACT, WE GOT THE GROVELAND FOUR PARDONED IN THE FIRST CLEMENCY in, mm-hmm. and, AND CABINET MEETING, WHICH WAS A HUGE SUCCESS. Uh, WELL um, OVER TIME, YOU KNOW, THAT APOLOGY SHOULD HAVE HAPPENED DECADES AGO. AND SO SINCE EVEN THEN, I HAVE BEEN PUSHING THIS ISSUE. AND WE HAD GOTTEN ORIGINALLY RUMBLINGS FROM THE from the CABINET THAT THAT'S WHAT WAS GOING TO HAPPEN. Um, MY LETTER THAT I SENT TO THE BOARD BACK IN SEPTEMBER uh, HAS BEEN UNANSWERED.
0: WAS THAT THE GROVELAND FOUR, GOVERNOR DeSantis was. Um, He was very out front on that. Do you give him credit for some of that? you know well, this is something that I campaigned on
2: uh, when it was first brought to my attention uh, during the campaign about this about the case about the history of it uh, it was something I campaigned very hard on and even after the elections I pushed to have this as one of the first issues on our first clemency or cabinet board meeting and again there was resistance from the rest of the board until I continued again to bring attention to this issue we had a lot of families calling in we had children that had been involved in trying to get uh, a resolution passed uh, and then finally everybody you know came to the table uh, but it still took a lot of of pressure from myself and and as well as the members of our state
1: yeah Uh, something else that you campaigned on and took some heat on was your criticism of your predecessor Adam Putnam uh, because the licensing for concealed weapons Mm -hmm. permits had really been screwed up to put it in the vernacular and you have gone in you've made it a much faster and I hope much more efficient process you are yourself a gun owner and you've got a permit don't you
2: absolutely and that was something that we saw when I came in we were not only for 13 months prior to me stepping in background checks had not been done but the time frame in which to get your concealed was taking over the statutory limitations and so we came in uh, we fired our team and hired some some new professionals we actually got 25 new full-time positions inside of it and the most important thing is that we kicked out the NRA from our office and so now they're done uh, efficiently effectively and everybody has a complete BACKGROUND CHECK. AND so some, MARY
1: BARCY, EXCUSE ME, yeah. MARY BARCY FLORES, FORMER miami Dade JUDGE, WORKS FOR YOU IN THAT AREA, DOESN'T SHE? YES,
2: SHE IS MY DEPUTY COMMISSIONER OF CONSUMER AFFAIRS AND HAS BEEN DOING A MAGNIFICENT JOB uh, MAKING SURE THAT WE'RE BRINGING TO LIGHT SOME OF THE CONSUMER ISSUES THAT HAVE BEEN PLAGUING OUR STATE.
0: SOME OF THOSE CHANGES, YOU INSTITUTED MORE TRAINING OR MORE TRAINING MORE OFTEN ON FOR A CONCEALED WEAPONS PERMIT, WHICH ON FACE VALUE SEEMS LIKE IT WOULD BE be met with applause and gratitude, and yet there are people calling that gun control. Talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's actually something that we're pushing forth in this legislative session. So now that we've gotten the uh, agency under control, that we are doing the background checks, that we have more staff, now we're trying to fix some of the loopholes. One of those loopholes is the fact that we don't uh, actually keep uh, uh, the fingerprints. And so we're trying to make sure that we're able to keep the fingerprints um, after we actually uh, issued the concealed and then the training courses, you know, after renewals. That if somebody has had a gun and, and a concealed permit for five, seven years and have not picked up their weapon, They are more danger to themselves or to others because they're not as comfortable anymore.
1: Yeah. Commissioner, in the minute or so we have left, I need to ask you about presidential democratic race. And in Florida, The New York Times, Siena College poll this week showed in Florida, Joe Biden 27%, Elizabeth Warren 19%, Bernie Sanders 17%, Pete Buttigieg Three percent. Do you have a favorite there? (laughs)
2: Um, I don't have a favorite yet. Um, I am still listening to the debates and still listening to now that we have potentially also Michael Bloomberg who's coming into the race. Uh, So I am taking a very, um, not a wait and see, but I want to fall in love first. And I also want to hear from my constituents. uh, What is it that we are looking for as a presidential candidate uh, and somebody who's going to be able to take our our state and our country in a new direction?
1: And should that be, generally speaking, in a moderate? kind of voice or are you looking for the kind of Elizabeth Warren big incremental change, and big change?
2: You know, I personally am looking for somebody who is going to, like I talked about the Arlet part of the show, is to bring issues together, to bring people together, that our state and our country is in the middle. I mean, we saw what happened in Kentucky. We saw that, you know, we had a Democratic governor, but the rest is Republican. Yeah. We saw close elections all over the country. Our country wants people to be able to work together for policy issues. We're not seeing that in Washington, D.C. We're seeing a little bit more in Florida, but I'm looking FOR SOMEBODY WHO'S GOING TO BE ABLE TO CROSS THE PARTY LINES TO GET GOOD POLICIES ACCOMPLISHED.
0: MADAM COMMISSIONER, GREAT TO HAVE YOU WITH US THIS MORNING. PLEASE DO COME BACK SOON.